verses 1 to 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city, a three-day journey in its day. Uh, all right, so Jonah hears some new orders in verse 2, and what are the new orders? Famous Yeah. <laughs> that changed a whole lot, hasn't it? Arise, go to Nineveh, and proclaim this proclamation against it. Nineveh is on God's non-negotiable agenda for Jonah. You know, Jonah's taken quite a detour since he first heard those orders, but God's word to Jonah has not changed one little bit. You know, he says, I want you to go to Nineveh. Only thing that changed here is what Jonah does with the orders. Uh, He says, you know, I want you to proclaim the proclamation that I'm going to tell you. Jonah's job is to deliver the message, not critique the message, not revise the message, just proclaim the message. Isn't that so much our job? You know, we're trying to think about all kinds of other stuff. Get the message proclaimed. So, Jonah arose, and this time, he went to Nineveh. I think that was a good choice. (laughs) You know? Maybe obeying will work out a little bit better. I don't know that he liked this any better this time than he did the first time, but he decided it's better to obey God, like it or not. Uh, So, I mean, he's a slow learner, but he finally gets the point. It says that Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Remember, everything's great in this book. A three days walk. Now, what does it mean, a three days walk? Well, I'll tell you what I think it means. I think it means that it would take three days crisscrossing Nineveh to get the message proclaimed all through the city. That's what I think he's saying. I don't think he means it takes three days to walk through the city. That would be quite a city, wouldn't it? It was an exceedingly great city, one of the leading cities of Assyria. But I think the idea is it's going to take three days for him to fully proclaim that message uh, throughout the city. All right, comments or questions on this? Look at verse 4. Then Jonah began to go through the city. One day's walk. And he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be destroyed. Now it's interesting, there's so much attention in this book on getting Jonah to Nineveh. Not a whole lot about what he preaches when he's there. You know, it's just kind of a simple, basic message. Not creative, not anything. Yet forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, that's that's the story. That's the message. Now, I might suggest, parenthetically here, that there is something about God's messages. God speaks to us kind of like in the time frame we are in. Now, God's a timeless being. I don't even understand what that means. But time doesn't mean anything to God like it does to us. But God always interacts with us in our real time. So God will say something like this. 40 days and then it will be destroyed. But Jeremiah 18 says, if the situation changes, God will change. So it's like promising to you know, bless somebody and then they turn bad. God takes away the blessing. Promising to punish somebody and they repent, God takes away the punishment. 
what he says is based upon our current condition, not based upon what God knows is going to happen to us later. So at this point, because of Jonah's, because of Nineveh's wickedness, God has made the decision, he's made the decree, that within 40 days, he's going to destroy this great Nineveh, great Assyrian city of Nineveh. Thoughts or comments about this? It kind of sounds like he just said it once. Yeah, but he's gone through only one day's walk. So I assume this is what he keeps crying out as he's crisscrossing. This kind of reminds you, like Paul Revere or something like that, you know, kind of riding through and giving the message in each little burg or whatever. I'm imagining each neighborhood of Nineveh, you know, he cries out the message, something like that. Other thoughts? Alright, five to nine. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed the fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. And the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with a sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And then he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from his violence that he ha- that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger that we, not, that we may not perish? So... What was the response? Nineveh repented. Yeah. And when? (laughs) Yeah. He's on the first day of a three-day job. And they they short-circuit the process. Before he even gets all the way through the city, they've all repented. You know, it's kind of like the Hebrew women who give birth before the midwives arrive, you know. They've already repented before he's gotten there in some parts of uh, the city of Nineveh. And you see the people's response in verse 5. You see the king's response in verse 6. And then his decree in verses 7 to 9. And it's just amazing. When have you ever seen a more exemplary repentance than Nineveh? So eager so comprehensive from king to peasant. What does the king do? That's amazing! You don't expect a king to react this way. You know, I mean, when you think about trying to preach the message, it's more likely the poor common people who are going to listen and repent, right? You don't normally expect the big shots to even care. The head of the city of Nineveh, this great city, takes off his robe, gets off his throne, where sackcloth sits on dust. I mean, that is incredible, really. Sets an example for his people. He issues the proclamation. And the proclamation is what? Everybody needs to put on sackcloth. Everybody wears sackcloth. And 
Don't eat or drink. No eating or drinking. And who does it apply to? Yeah, yeah. This is the only time in the history of preaching that it's brought about the repentance of the sheep and the cows. <laughs> you know? Wow. From king to cow. They're all fasting and wearing sackcloth. Why does the king issue a decree like this? Who can tell if God will turn to relent and turn away from this fierce anger? So, so he, yeah, exactly. So he's trying to show the Lord they are serious about this repentance, not presumptively like they can just control God, but with the hope that God will notice and relent. You know, this is an amazing thing. You know, and think about the unlikelihood of a great city like Nineveh repenting. Here you have one day's preaching of a lone enemy prophet to a great, powerful, cruel, violent city like Nineveh. And it brings about universal repentance. I mean, what are the chances of that happening? It'd almost be like, you know, some preacher getting up and starting crisscrossing the U.S. with some message of doom, and suddenly, from Obama down, everybody humbles themselves and repents. <laughs> You're expecting that to happen? And and what's, really, it wouldn't be like one of us doing it. It'd be like, you know, some Iranian preacher, or something like that. Russian preacher, maybe. Or whatever. I mean, what are the chances we're going to do that? You know, you know that there are a lot of skeptics, who claim that the book of Jonah is more like a myth or something like that. Now, one of the reasons they do that is because they have a hard time swallowing the fish story. Uh, but, uh, but really, the ones I've read have the harder time with this, have the harder time believing that there's any way a great city like Nineveh would ever repent in a situation like this. I think this is harder to believe than the story of the fish. I mean, it just doesn't, there's no analogy for this. You know, it just, just it doesn't happen. I mean, you can't get one prophet, one day, and he's from your arch enemy, and anybody listened to him, much less everybody listened to him. Now, I'm saying this to set us up. We're going to talk about this at the end of the book, and we're going to come back to the question of what was it that led the Ninevites to repent like this? There's a deeper lesson in the book of Jonah that I didn't get for a long time. And, and we've kind of bringing some, some thoughts and kind of some open-ended questions here to hopefully try to pull them together at the end of the book and see the real point of the book of uh, Jonah. But, but at this point, this is a remarkable feat and just, just stunning almost to see this. And it works. I mean, look at verse 10. God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, that God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. You know, Nineveh repented, God relented. And really, with Nineveh repeated the experience of the mercy and deliverance that he had given to Jonah. And it's remarkable. Who would have thought God would be moved by this? 
Nineveh was an exceedingly wicked city, but God longs to bless. And he doesn't just long to bless the Israelites. He cares about Ninevites. That's a remarkable thing. All right, thoughts and comments on all this, Garrett? Uh, I was going to say that uh, several times in the book we see that you know they repent, they believe immediately they do something there's action involved it's not just hey you know i know god's going to destroy us please don't do it and then go on their way continuing what they're doing they repent and you see you know jonah you know jonah's doing something wrong you know toss me into the into the sea there's action there he does something the people on the ship themselves they weren't you know they weren't believing at first and once they see you know god is powerful they immediately offered sacrifice there was action on their part and you know we can't just you know, in each of these cases, you know, you have to do something. You know, it's good point. Believing yeah. in repentance, Amen. action. So. Amen. Good point. Right. Just say, you know, verse five: the people of Nineveh believed God. It wasn't that they believed Jonah. You know, we put so much emphasis today on the speaker, on the individual proclaiming the word. That you know, we realize that it's God that that gives the increase. Like Paul and Apollos, you know, I planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. Neither him who plants or he who waters is anything. So Jonah's message was a message focused on God. When they listened to him, they're believing in God. Good point, Alicia. I love the simpleness of the message. Like so often people are like, well, it needs to be a very complex, very elegant, very beautiful for people to listen. But Jonah just walked around and said one phrase, and in a day everyone changed. Yes. Good point. I mean, it's not up to us to beautify the message, to make it what we think is sophisticated or elegant or whatever. We just need to proclaim the proclamation the Lord gives us. That's our only responsibility. Yeah, good point. Chris? You have other kings or even nations maybe that repented, like Nebuchadnezzar, but it was always due to some miracle or miraculous. So this is in contrast to that, just just preaching, if you want to say just <laughs> preaching. Well, yeah, it's often like what happened in Jonah, where they end up suffering a great deal, and that leads them to repent. Even the sailors. Right. But they had something amazing. Absolutely, and a crisis to precipitate that even. So, yeah, you're right. This is, you don't expect this kind of response given the simplicity. For no of, reason. Yes, Exactly. <laughs> Yes. I wonder too on the with the cows and the sheep if it was just a uh, ignorance thing. You know, we're we're gonna we're, you know everybody is fasting, even the cows, and whether they, you know or whether they had any idea. Well, I suspect it makes it almost a desperation. You know, you want God to see this and notice how, you know, earnest you are. And so, you know, go beyond even what's reasonable. You know, maybe this will persuade the Lord. Garrett? Uh, and that's a great point you make about them, like, not having, they didn't have anything to see. But I think one of the things is, like, as humans, like, we know when we're do, doing, even if you don't know the Lord, you don't know. Like, in that case, people still seek out God. They seek for a greater purpose. Like, they know what they're doing is wrong. And, like, maybe it's some semblance of these people. They realize what they're doing wasn't wrong. But, you know, they didn't know any better and they were doing it. And so, like, and there are people out there today who, like, were like, oh, those people won't repent. Look at what they're doing. Like, they don't want God. But, you know, they probably... That is true, although wait for the rest of the story at the end of the book. And we'll talk about it a little bit more deeply. But yeah, point. Other thoughts? Um, at death camp, uh, one of the teachers says something about uh, God heals or he fixes things. And 
down. So uh, you know, the phrase, you know, if it's not broken, don't fix it. But you know, change that. You know, if it's not broken, break it. You know, because if the Ninevites here, you know, they were broken. You know, right. they didn't know what to do. They were you know, wicked. We don't turn to God to be fixed if we don't realize we're broken. We have to be brokenhearted to turn to the Lord. Exactly. That's a great point. Certainly true for all of us. Other thoughts?